this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. I have an Agile celebrity with me. Adam Weisbart is calling in from his private island off the coast of Seattle. Hey, Dave. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. It's not really... I mean, it is it a private island. It's sort of a private island. Like I mean, there's, it's me and like 10,000 other people. So <laughs> Is it really 10,000 people? Yeah, it's a big island. It's like the, uh-huh. it's the size of Manhattan, except there's really? way fewer people. Yeah. Wow, I, didn't, I thought it was smaller than that. Okay. Well, it seems yeah. smaller on the way over there. Um, okay. So Adam is very well known in the Agile community for a lot of things. One of them is the video, expletive things bad scrum masters say, or expletive. How would you? How do, it's like a we're just stuff gonna, bad scrum masters There you say. go. Okay, that's better. And also build your own scrum and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and some of that we're going to talk about in the podcast today. Um, what else do you do, Adam, besides designing and developing fabulous new projects for the products for the Agile community? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, like you, I teach a bunch of certified Scrum Master and Product Owner courses and do coaching and all things Agile that okay. are somewhere in the world of Scrum. Okay. And we're going to talk about retrospectives. And I've got a student question, which I'm going to play for you right now. And then Adam and I are going to talk through some different ideas about how to solve this problem. So here's the question I got from a student in class. Hi, Dave. I work in a company where we have a relatively large Scrum team. We have six developers, two QAs, and a product owner. And our retros get... um, kind of quiet. Wondering if you have any tips on how to encourage developer participation. Uh, We have a scrum manager who isn't really available uh, at the times that we need. Um, He's a bit overtaxed, so that's not really uh, a useful option to help us uh, address the developer silence in the room. Wondering if you can help us figure out how to make our retros more productive. Thank you. All right. And now, so just to run through the details, she's got six developers, two QA, one product owner, and something she calls a scrum manager who she says is not available. I think she meant scrum master, but she's probably a scrum master, right? Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, And she's got retros where people don't talk. Yeah. So you've done a lot of work on retrospectives and trying to make Man, have I. Yes. I have done a ton of work on retrospectives. and I had good reason to when I when I first started doing Scrum, I took a certified Scrum master from the uh, uh, the great Jimmy Fosdick. And after that course, I was running retros with my team. And after about six months, uh, they weren't going very well. And um, were you I doing the same one over and over again? Same kind. How, of- yeah. How did you know? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, some people recommend that. Well, I didn't do it. Uh, I, 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 so I went back to Jimmy and I said, Jimmy, uh, my retros, uh, people hate them. You said they were really important, but like they hate them and they're only, only like 20 minutes now. And he said, well, uh, how long are your sprints? And I said, two weeks. And he said, why are they only 20 minutes? And I was like, because people, people hate these things. And he said, well, what, what retrospective are you doing? Like, what are you doing for your last one? And I explained it to him. What was it? What, uh, like what went well, what didn't, you know, okay. pluses and deltas, right? Yeah. And he said, okay, what'd you do for the one before that? And I said, pluses and deltas. And, <laughs> and he said, what did you do before that? Pluses and deltas. He's like, well, that's why people hate your retrospectives. It's the same one over and over again. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, wait, that, that's what you taught us in class. He's like, well, were you asleep for the part where I told you not to do that over and over again? I said, well, well, maybe. 
Um, and so uh, because of this, I uh, ran out and got uh, Esther Derby and Diana Larson's book, uh, Agile Retrospectives, Making okay. Good Things Great. And I learned their five-step framework for facilitating retrospectives. And I used some of the activities within that book to make a new retrospective uh, uh, every sprint. And the good part about this was my team ended up loving retrospectives in relatively short order. Like we broke out of our old habits um, and started having a lot of fun in retros. The downside was I had to spend like half a day or a day putting together uh, a new retrospective. So you were actually developing like your own thing. You weren't just grabbing the ones that already exist. Uh, no, to start with, I was I was uh, getting stuff out of the book and from things I found online. But even so, you, you got to put together the five steps of the retro, figure out what activity you're going to plug into each thing. Can you, can you share you the five steps? Because I've been trying to look them up online and I'm not finding them. I don't have my book near me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is the, your internet <laughs> is down, apparently. No, I've, I've just got all these links and they're all people's yeah. you know, versions of the same thing, but none of them actually explain what Esther and Diana were talking about. Yeah. So what they outline in the book uh, is to first set the stage. So the first step is to set the stage of the retro. And you can do this in a bunch of ways. Uh, first of all, you're going to figure out what you are focusing on for this retro. And thankfully in Scrum, it's, it's pretty easy. What you're focusing on is the last iteration, the last sprint together. Uh, and you want to do some activity in that first step to get everyone's voice in the room. So one of my favorite things uh, that I like doing that might help uh, this person's uh, quiet retrospective um, is just to ask what seems like a silly question. Um, something like, what was the best thing you had to eat since our last retrospective? And by asking that question, uh, two things are happening. One, you're getting everybody in the room to just say a couple words at the beginning of the retro. Because that means that... Um, people are more likely to actually speak during the retro, during the like actual important parts of the retro. Okay. And secondly, you're getting everyone to think of something they really enjoyed over the last couple of weeks. And this for a brief second changes their state, right? It sort of breaks them out of normal meeting mode and brings them back to this moment that was uh, enjoyable to them. Can I ask, I want to, can I ask you a question about this really quick? Yeah, sure. You, I know you know a lot about improv, so this is why I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. I know that the intention with that, with that, what it was the, you know, best thing you ate is to kind of unlock a different part of them, get them to think about something different, kind of open them up and put them at ease. But for me, those kinds of questions make me defensive. They put all my alerts up. I'm like icebreaker. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you cope with that? Yeah. Is that because of your gluten intolerance? No, it's just, I feel like you're going to, I, I worry that. <laughs> that I'm being asked to do something for the sake of doing something. It's true. Yeah. So I think uh, it, it's a totally valid concern in that there are a bunch of goofy icebreakers out of there. And often we do icebreakers in a situation where um, we don't have a lot of trust built, right? And right. so to have, have an icebreaker with a bunch of strangers, which is often when we do them, like you're at a conference or you're... Um, I don't know, at some class or some such, yeah. and you don't know anybody in the room and you have to do this icebreaker. Uh, I think that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Uh, the goal in a retro, of course, over time is to build a bunch of trust. And so activities like this uh, probably won't be so confronting once you have spent a bunch of time with that team. Okay. Um, it's also possible to do some sort of icebreaker um, that is not so sort of... Um, vocal, right? So it's good to get everyone's uh, voice in the room, as I mentioned, but there are other activities you can do. Um, one that I put together for one of my boxes of, of recess, my little retrospective kits, um, 
we have uh, one called Mission to Mars. And so for Mission to Mars, the first thing that you do, uh, the thing you do to start the retrospective, is everyone has a little avatar card. And on that card, there is a picture of an astronaut um, or an illustration of an astronaut. It's got their um, helmet where you can't see their face and then a little thought bubble over their head. And so for opening that retrospective, uh, people each take one of those cards and on their own silently uh, fill in what the person is currently thinking. So I just take a moment to tune into what I'm currently um, thinking, which could be like, wow, this is going to be a great retro or wow, I left the iron on, whatever the thing is. Um, and then they get to draw in on the face of the astronaut and the helmet uh, what they're currently feeling. So even if okay. you're like me and can't draw anything, you can scribble something that looks like maybe your current expression. Okay. Um, and then they have the option to share those with others, right? So, um, and you, you, getting your voice in the room could be as easy as saying pass, like I, I don't want to share this thing. Okay. Um, but it gets everybody tuned in and dropped into the retrospective, breaks them out of normal meeting mode and lets uh, folks proceed. So I guess that's a long way of saying uh, you can change up this activity you're doing at the beginning. And some people re resonate with the, like, what was your favorite thing to eat? And other people want more quiet ways of, of participating. But you, but you um, are, are kind fun. of defining this as a, an event. This is something that has started and we're all here now. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, that is step one. Uh, step two is to uh, uh, gather data. Uh, you want to do some sort of activity that gets everybody, um, at least at the end of this part of it, on the same page as to what occurred for everybody over the last uh, sprint. And so this isn't to draw any judgments or find any patterns or anything like that. We just want to gather a bunch of data uh, so that we all can get a shared view of what just occurred. Okay. Uh, then you move on to generating insights. You want to take all the data that you, uh, you just found and you want to figure out as a team what sort of patterns you see, what things um, have happened in the past, um, maybe reactions you all, like uh, emotional reactions you have to these feelings, thoughts, etc. Um, so that you as a team can get some idea of, of what's going on for you over the last uh, iteration. Okay. Um, then you get to decide what to do. So step four is where the team is going to use some sort of mechanic of figuring out um, which thing to focus on. Because if you stop here, you've just talked about what went well and what didn't in some form. You haven't form. done anything to get better. Yeah, you got nothing. So yeah. you got to figure out some way to uh, agree on which item you would like to work on moving forward. Okay. And there are a bunch of ways of doing this. I'd say... 80% of them, 90% of them are based on some sort of dot voting. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, this year I went to uh, the International Retrospective Facilitator Gathering. It was myself and, and 20 other folks, including uh, Diana Larson. What uh, is that? I didn't even know about that. Did I know. What? It's secret. There's only like 20 of us. It's five days. Uh, wow. Every, yeah. Every... Um, I don't. I don't know if I'm supposed to mention it. I guess on the on the air here. It's like a secret club. Well, it's secret. So, is it Diana that runs it, or is it somebody else? Um, you know, I don't know for sure who runs it. I don't. Uh, maybe in the early days, Diana did, but um, okay. uh, there are other people uh, putting it together. Okay. Um, it was in a secret location in the Berkshires, in a uh, <laughs> in a barn that was uh, that housed. Uh, General Washington during the war for a night at least because there's a plaque on the side of the building wow. uh, saying that that they stayed there that night and uh, there were t about 20 of us 
And we spent a whole week, five days, uh, using open space to look at um, retrospective facilitation. Wow. And yeah, five whole days with 20 people. It was fantastic. And uh, my point of bringing this up is I ran a session on um, anything but dot voting. Uh, it seems like retrospectives often use dot voting for um, figuring out what to do next. It's what we do most of the time. And we, we uncovered some other ways of doing this. But basically, often, it's, it's based on dot voting. Yeah. Um, after you uh, have figured out which item you'd like to focus on, which is the fourth step, uh, you do something uh, to close the retrospective. This is uh, step five. So, um, oh, I should mention, uh, when you decide what to do in step four, uh, you really need to write that item down on some sort of physical item, say like an index card, and write down your team's plan for addressing that item within this next sprint. Okay. Because if you don't, you'll just forget about it. I suspect if you're like me, you'll get into the work you have for the next sprint and uh, you won't remember to uh, to discuss this stuff Okay. Um, or to take any action on it. Uh, then in step five, you close the retrospective. And I recommend, as, as does... Uh, uh, Derby and Larson in their book that you close with some sort of um, appreciations. Well, you don't have to do that every time. Um, it's highly recommended in that, uh, you know, the, the thing generally people remember from an event like a retrospective or a meeting or a day or a week is the last thing that happened with them. And uh, because retrospectives can bring up some strong thoughts or feelings about work with your team and with a brand new team, there can be uh, some friction there because of uh, them all being in the storming phase of, of forming a team. Uh, it's good to just leave on a higher note. And one of uh, great ways of doing that is to uh, share with other people on your team how they helped you or what you enjoyed about this uh, sprint working together. Okay, so, so you do the different... kudos thing at the end. Yeah. Okay, I've yeah. seen a lot of people do that at the beginning to try to set the tone. Yeah, I think that's a fine place to do it as well. I generally put them at the end because I want people leaving... Uh, on this higher note. In fact, um, I mentioned recess before. Each one of those uh, kits has appreciations in some form at the end of, of the retrospective. Okay. And just to, for the folks that are listening, this event isn't really all that secret because I am now looking of a, at a picture of Adam standing <laughs> next to Kim Brainerd. Um, all right. So I, I I'm going to make photo. sure to include a link to, this is the results from the, from the event. So yes. I'm going to include a link to that in, with the podcast. I like to think of it as secret just because I had to go yeah, find it, it in the Berkshires. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So thank you for, for walking through that for the folks that aren't familiar. Yeah. So, so this poor woman's got this, pot, this uh, retrospective and nobody's talking. Yeah. And she's not alone. Uh, I did a survey with a bunch of people on my uh, email list um, about the top problems that they run into with a retrospective. Uh, and probably the top one was we have lifeless, dead retrospectives where nobody talks. So she is not alone in, in that respect. Um, one of the first things I would do is, is make sure that we've um, built trust within the room um, and also make sure there's not some huge power imbalance. You know, I think she probably just misspoke when she said uh, Scrum Manager instead of Scrum Master. But it did get me wondering if their Scrum Master was also their like functional manager. Well, yeah, and they're not available. They obviously have too much going on. I mean, to me, yeah. like that, I, the way I teach the class, like, that is the one event that the Scrum Master actively leads that event. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if they're too busy to come, then that, that makes me very nervous. Yeah. 
Totally. Uh, and if they are uh, a manager, a functional manager uh, of the people in the room, it is quite unlikely, um, no matter how alt- altruistic and wonderful that person is, that people are going to speak freely in that meeting. Yeah. Um, that can be uh, challenging. But let's assume that it's a scrum master who they don't all report to. Um, I would look for something that would make my retrospectives more fun. And the first thing I would do is the thing I mentioned at the beginning of this retro or uh, beginning of this uh, uh, podcast, which is to not do the <laughs> See, same retro. I used podcast instead of retro about 30 <laughs> seconds ago. So now we've balanced the scales. Okay. I'm glad everything is right in the world now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would make sure that I'm not doing the same retrospective every time. And I suspect since they're the ones facilitating it, not the scrum master, that they might be using the same one over and over again. What do you think? I think that's possible. I mean, I try to do different ones. I, I think like the, the advice that I give in the class is maybe um, you need to do it off-site. Like maybe there's some kind of safety issue in the company and you need to go somewhere else. I, I recommend doing it in a place where the only time you go in that room is when you do the retrospective so that that creates a safe physical environment for everybody. Obviously, you never let anyone outside the team in there. Um, I talk about using different techniques, focusing on different aspects of the team. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also mention that there are some cultures that I've worked with, people from certain countries, where before going into the retro, we have to, I will like get everybody from a certain country and be like, let's go practice. Because mm. it's not part of the culture. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. That, that's kind of you know where I kind of tap out on that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, hey, yeah, you mentioned uh, you know maybe try different techniques and, and such. Um, so I actually have something that uh, folks can download that I think would be useful to this end. Um, I usually charge for it, but I want to give it away to your, to your listeners. See here. how he just snuck that in there? I did. So I, smooth. I totally, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like, like butter. <laughs> so, um, do you, do you remember doing, um, uh, Mad Libs as a kid? I do. Yeah. So someone asks you for like a verb and a noun and, and, uh, when they ask you for that, they write it into the, to the already written story, they fill in the blanks and then they read the story back to you and it's hilarious because yep. all the words are, yeah. So I put those together for, uh, retrospectives. So it doesn't make up a full retrospective. It's not all the five steps that, um, I just mentioned. It's a great way, however, to um, gather a bunch of data about your retrospective in a non-boring pluses and deltas sort of way. Okay. Um, so they are stories um, with blank spaces in them, of course, about uh, Scrum development teams. And uh, it asks you for like the name of somebody on your team and a number between one and a thousand, et cetera. And uh, you fill that out with a teammate. So you pair up and fill these out. And then you read them back to each other. And they end up being hilarious uh, in that it's, it's a Mad Lib, basically. Um, but it's based around, you know, agile development. Yeah. And once you've read that story that you've now all been interjected into, right, um, there is a retrospective, an open-ended retrospective question at the end of each one of these stories. So it breaks you out of normal meeting mode. It okay. gets you laughing. Most people, when, when I've tested this and, and people who have bought it and used it, give me feedback. Um, it actually gets teams that are previously quiet actually laughing. Um, and when you're laughing and then looking at these open retrospective questions, you are more likely to come up with creative solutions or creative input for these things for the gathering data section. Okay. Um, so the PDF comes with uh, 10 different uh, uh, stories of these. So each person on the team or each pair on the team gets a different one. And uh, they do them together, read them as a group, and it's a great way to um, gather a bunch of data at the beginning of your retrospective. Okay. 
Well, thank you for offering it to everybody. Hopefully that, I mean, that, that kind of thing might help get it off onto a better footing. Yeah. And um, we'll, uh, uh, we'll put it up at download retro slash drunken PM. That's download retro.com slash drunken PM. And, and there uh, will be a link in the show notes. And thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. So you think that starting out on a lighthearted fun tone is kind of critical here. Well, yes, but I'm like hugely biased in that uh, all the stuff I create or most of it, I try to have on a light, uh, uh, fun tone. Um, I think that works for most folks. Um, but yes, I, I think that getting out of normal meeting mode, like we don't need another boring meeting at work. Right. We already have plenty of those. And we don't need a boring meeting that then is coupled with having hard conversations, which is often what happens in a retrospective. Um, I think that hard conversations are essential to building uh, fantastic teams. But I also think like if that's coupled with also being bored, like good luck getting through it. Who wants to do that? Uh, so I try to interject... Uh, as much fun as possible into these things without being like, you know, cheesy and ridiculous. Now, do you ever address it directly? Like one of the things that I've done in the past is, I mean, there's, there's two things I've done. One of them, I know you're not going to think is good, a good idea, but um, <laughs> I have, I have just brought up like, look, nobody's talking. Like what's, can we, can we just do a retrospective on that? Like, why don't you guys feel comfortable? Um, and I guess I worry sometimes that that seems a little bit more, I don't know. It's like I'm pushing it and making it worse sometimes. Uh, is this the thing you think I'm not going to like? No, that, I haven't even gotten oh, okay. to that one yet. This okay. Is, <laughs> um, I don't dislike this that. This was a safe one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't To dis- me, it's being transparent. Like, I, I'm going to call it out. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, uh, that one is tricky. Like, I think um, as a really good facilitator, one can bring that up. I think, like, if I was a brand new Scrum Master and I said that to my team, knowing that I'm a recovering control freak. Yeah. It would not have come across as me being curious and really wanting to help my team. It would seem like I was trying to manage them in some way. Okay. Um, but I do think that, you know, practiced facilitators um, could ask that question in a way that was, uh, was, was helpful. Okay. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not against that. <laughs> okay. So here's the other one. Um, I like to remind my team members about the scrum values and I talk about how important, you know, it is to be open and and courageous and then i talk about you know the empirical process and i say you know i'm not going to ask i'm not going to make everyone talk i think that would be you know an inappropriate thing to do i want people to feel they have an option to speak or not speak but if you have something you know in your head and you're choosing not to say it for your own personal comfort that is completely your option but you know it's not open it's not courageous and who the hell are you to screw over the rest of your team by making us suffer through the same nonsense again and um i try to say that in a playful way but uh actually it works almost every single time I was going to say this all sounds great, and then you got to the part where you yelled. And, well, it's, uh, I mean, I do it in a fun way. I like I try to yeah. make light of it, but it it, it does every single time. Like, well, there's one thing because people nobody wants to start it off, and I think that's part of the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can honestly say I've never tried that. Um, <laughs> Nor will you. <laughs> no, no, I might. I might. It would depend. Um, <laughs> Mine's a little... Uh, I put the fun back in dysfunction. I like to yeah. think of it that way. I, I like to think of you that way, too. <laughs> but so we want them to feel safe and comfortable, right? Yeah. And what if they don't? Um, and what if they don't? Well, uh, there are ways, um, again, outlined in Esther and Diana's book, 
about how to facilitate retrospective when there is a uh, low amount of trust in the room. And uh, I would probably look to that as a resource for how to uh, collect, like to generate insights and gather data in a way that starts out uh, anonymous with the team. Uh, the trick with this, though, is that if you keep your retrospectives anonymous forever, they're never going to get very good. So it's a fine like stepping stone to get a team that has low trust okay. to um, building more trust. Yeah. Uh, but you have to do that in relatively short order. Like you could do a few, you know, two or three retros where stuff was anonymous to begin with. But if that's what you're always leaning on, uh, something else is substantially wrong, I suspect. Okay. Um, but it's a perfectly fine place to start with a brand new team that. Um, that ha has this going on. I, I would also just look into what you could do to make a retrospective feel more like a game and less like some weird agile performance review thing, which it certainly yeah. isn't, but I can see people sort of feel that. They don't trust them because of that. It, they might trust the people in the room perhaps, but maybe they're worried about uh, what happens after we say this stuff in the room. Okay. Uh, which, which is worth pointing out. I think you alluded to this already, but uh, you know, retrospectives are... Are, are private, right? They're just for the team. Yeah. And I have worked places and coached many places where anything that comes up in a retro, like notes from the retrospectives end up on Confluence or some other, you know, public <laughs> broadcast area. <clears throat> and um, I think we would uh, both agree that that is wrong, unsound, and should stop immediately. Yes. I, I like to think of, of um, retrospectives of abiding by the Vegas rule, right? Whatever happens in the retrospective stays in the retrospective. Um, and unless the team of course agrees to share it. And so I would just make sure that we are all agreed on that, uh, before having a retrospective. So maybe the, the person who, uh, who left you this question, uh, maybe they haven't made that working agreement and okay. maybe just doing that will help. And I Hard think to if, know if you don't before. have your scrum master able to attend, obviously that's an issue the team is going to have to solve. I mean, maybe that could be a starting place in uniting everybody. I think there's there's there can be power in an us versus them thing. And in this situation, the them would be, you're kind of screwed if you don't have somebody who can do this job. Yeah. I mean, you could, um, when you set the stage for the retrospective, instead of looking at the last iteration, you could say, you know, over the last two months or some amount of time, two or three months, um, what, what's been our experience of having, uh, our scrum master as available or not as they are. Yeah. And you could gather a bunch of data as to how that's helped you maybe in some ways. And uh, I suspect more often how, how it's uh, been an impediment actually. Which I think to me, like that gives the team a problem they can work on solving together. And maybe that collaboration will open up some of that trust. I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads uh, I, me to, oh, go ahead. No, uh, I was just going to say that um, I suspect this is not an issue of the Scrum Master not wanting to be available. I suspect this is probably an organizational yeah. uh, impediment. Uh, probably something like that Scrum Master is the Scrum Master for like, you know, five teams or something impossible like that. Yeah. So on the working together front, the thing I was going to mention, so Adam's got a, a product called Recess. Um, and that was one of the things we wanted to, to mention. I wanted this to mention in the podcast. It's one of the reasons I reached out to him. I used that with the team and it puts them through a number of different games and playful exercises um, that, that not everybody wanted to do out of the gate, but even the people that didn't want to do it, as long as they were willing to go along with it, it did provide valuable insights that led to discussion and, and team problem solving, figuring out how to cope with some different issues. So I was wondering if you could comment a little bit on 
recess. And I mean, you mentioned it before with the Mars thing, but um, what problem is that designed to solve? Uh, it's designed to solve a couple problems. Um, as a new scrum master, as I mentioned, even though I had the book and other resources available to me, uh, it took a bunch of my time to put together a good retrospective. Um, and because I was new, I wanted to practice them and make sure they were good, et cetera. So, you know, I'd spend half a day or a day uh, putting one together every sprint. And as a new scrum master, I didn't really have that time. Like I was trying to do all the other stuff a scrum master should do. And so sometimes I did and sometimes I didn't. And when I didn't, I reverted to some old retro that I'd done before. Um, and we've already talked about how well that goes. And <laughs> so I wanted to make something that was a really good retro that someone could get and open up and half an hour later, you know, run a really good retrospective. So recess comes with a playbook. You open up the playbook and inside um, it, it has basically a story that you read out loud. So it's like a script that you would read. Um, it tells you when to start a timer and when the time box is up and what questions to ask, etc. And so even if you're a novice scrum master, you've never facilitated one before just by reading this book out loud and handing out the materials when it tells you to because everything you need for the retrospective, including a snack, uh, is included in this box. So you open this up, it's a retrospective in a box. And um, having never done this before, uh, you can facilitate a really great retro. Um, it's built on the five uh, steps that Esther Derby and Diana Larson uh, lay out in their book. Um, but you don't have to go through all the trouble of putting this retro together. And uh, the other thing that it does is something that, um, frankly, not even the book does, uh, which is it's based on a theme every, every month, each time you get a box. And so the first one is um, Welcome to Hollywood. Then we have Mission to Mars uh, and 10 other uh, boxes. And the cool thing about this is you're reading a story to your team. So it's sort of like um, going to a movie, right? You suspend disbelief for a moment. It breaks you out of your normal life and you get to experience this thing that was uh, well-crafted, like a movie, for example. Um, and that story that ties everything together um, really helps, I think, generate new ideas from the team and break them out of old habits. Um, yeah, so I put it together to save people the work of having to put a retro together and through the process of going through these bo boxes, uh, teach people how to facilitate good retrospectives um, without having you know to read a ton of books and such if they don't have time to do that, which it seems like new Scrum Masters don't. Cool. I'm really impressed by the fact that you were creating customized retrospectives every time. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing that before. They just use the speedboat or the starfish or the you know, start, stop, continue, or, you know, one of the standard forms. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, those were created by somebody, right? Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a sort of a section of, or a set of sort of standard retrospective tools that people go to um, and put them together. Uh, honestly, when I was putting them together, it was sort of haphazard, right? I'd take this one for opening and this one for gathering data and this one for generating insights, but they didn't tell like a story together. Yeah. Um, and so I really wanted to build the story around these things for, for each box just to make it more uh, engaging. Now, when you're doing this with teams, do you ever focus on running a retrospective to create a backlog of items they might want to fit? Like, let me give you an example is the best way to do it. One of the things they do in classes, in the PO class, what is, there's, there's three questions. The first one is, what is your organization doing that's keeping you from being a good PO? The second one is, what are you doing that's keeping you from being a good PO? And the third one is, you know, what, what do you think we should change in the next sprint? But 
those two questions, the first two questions are focused on trying to generate ideas for backlog items for class. So if you were doing that with the team in the real world, do you ever run them to try to create new product backlog items or maybe create a whole backlog of things you want to try to tune up? Yeah. Um, so I recommend that people leave each retro with a single item that as a team they're going to focus on, on accomplishing okay. in this next work period. Uh, and that's because I found when people take more than one, they just don't get done, right? With all good intentions. We're like, we're going to work on these five things. And then we work on none of them. Or so we you don't maintain a backlog. You just, you just dump the rest. Keep the one and dump the rest. Um, that is what I would do with a brand new and intermediate team. Okay. Uh, I think that once your team is, is successfully tackling one of these every work period, yeah. then now you can focus on two. Um, but time and again, I've seen teams with all good intentions agree to work on five and none of them get done. And look, yeah. if, if your team is identifying and improving on a single thing every work period, like every two weeks, yeah. uh, you are ahead of most teams in the world. <laughs> right? <laughs> like that is substantial. And these, these aren't like uh, generally after doing this for a bit, these aren't really particularly low hanging fruit. Like there's work involved in doing these things. Yeah. Um, I do recommend, and this is probably a whole other podcast episode, but I, I do recommend teams create and organizations create organizational improvement backlogs in which they are tracking many of these things and working on many ah, of these things okay. as an organizational improvement team. Um, and those could be generated via retrospectives. Okay. Um, but um, which, which I, many teams in the organization could contribute to that backlog. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you mentioned, though, was not only were you identifying stuff the team could work on, it sounded like in your class, people are identifying things they personally want to work on. Was that... Yeah, that's what, that what I'm trying to explore is like, it's, it's easy for me to say like, I can't do this job because the organization won't let me. Yeah. But yeah. for me, one of the biggest, I don't know, learning moments was realizing where I am my own enemy. Yep. Um, so some of the boxes of recess, uh, we've built that into, right? So we have a team action card at the end of every retrospective. Uh, okay. The out, outcome of this thing that we're going to work on this item together. It's the thing we agree we can work on, have energy for, have power over, et cetera. Um, and some of the boxes also have you uh, identify what your personal improvement thing is, right? So I don't have to agree with anybody else on this thing, but this next work period, I am committed to working on X, Me. Y, or Z for myself. Okay. Uh, so we always leave with the team item, and sometimes we also leave with um, individual items, which I think is is fantastic. And you can often gather those anyway while you are. I mean, some of those come up for you anyway via the via the retro. Yeah. Well, this was awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, there's a for, lot of good. Uh, hopefully, that on. helps. I mean, this we kicked around a lot of different ideas. I hope some of them will will resonate and help help the person with their issues. Um, yeah. And if you're listening, if you've got ideas for things to try, please put them in the show notes and absolutely check out the links below because you'll be able to get a, access to the to the Mad Libs that Adam has created. You call them Agile Mad... What do you call them? Agile Ad Libs. Agile Ad Libs. Yeah. yeah. So I think they're probably some trademark the- issue if I called them. <laughs> Very safe. Okay. Now because of this podcast, I'm, I'm going to jail. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> do what I can. Um, cool. And if, do you have any events coming up that we need to talk about? Uh, yeah, so I've got uh, I've got my normal certified Scrum Master product owner courses coming up. You can check uh, wisebart.com for that. Uh, and uh, I will be having some uh, webinars, actually, specifically on retrospectives, which you can also find out at uh, wisebart.com as well. You can sign up for them and 
get some more retrospective goodness. Excellent. Cool. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for doing this. And if they want to reach out to you, they just go to whitespart.com, right? Yeah, there's like some uh, links on there you can click on and then send me things. All right. Well, cool. Thanks, man. I really appreciate your time. No worries. And it was Thanks great catching up with you too. I haven't seen you in a while. So I know, it's been forever. Thanks so much. Thank you.